you look strong enough to pull the ears off a gun duck. Hello and welcome to the weekly song podcast. My name is Roger. Michael Heathers with me, as always, is my co-host, Declan Kitchener. Hello. How are you? That was a very William Shatner-esque introduction you have there. <laughs> Sometimes I like to, to break these things up by breaking up my syntax. <laughs> Sometimes I just like to put weird inflections into my dialogue. <laughs> it's funny how he, like, that kind of, like, became a signature thing. This What was probably on the first day, the director went, um, William, would you mind just doing that again for us, please? And he went... Yeah, of course, and you did I, it again the same way. And I think you're overestimating how high budget a show or how much any of the people actually involved in Star Trek cared for its production. It's like any of these nerd franchises. No one at making them cared at the time. <laughs> and then mistakes went on to be like pop culture memes for years to come. But then people ended up caring about them. A lot like this show. We don't care about... <laughs> <laughs> no, if anything, it's the inverse. We care about Oh, yeah, this that's show. true. And then we have like... Only a few listeners, dedicated loyal listeners who we love, but we love more listeners of the dedication of you lot so we can all share the songwriting advice and things like that. And we managed to ramble on without actually talking about what this podcast actually is. That's very true. So, uh, first of all, hello. Thank you for listening. Uh, what we do on this show, if you haven't heard the show uh, many times before or, or at all, is uh, Declan and I, uh, we each write a song in the space of a week and we bring them to this podcast and we talk about how we wrote them, basically. Uh, the lyrics, the chords, the, uh, the structures and the ideas that went into them. Uh, this time, uh, we're doing seven weeks of writing with a challenge in mind each week, a separate challenge for each week. We've done... Um, what have we done so far? Let's recap. Well, we've been inspired by various topics and various pieces of art. So we started off with Casablanca. We've done uh, the painting, The Scream. Mm. Egyptology, that was a fun one. Uh, Wuthering Heights. Wuthering Heights. And now this week, we have written a song based on The Birds by Alfred Hitchcock, which last week I had a lot of trouble saying. Yes, well done. Congratulations on um, saying... Everyone at home, join in with the applause. Do I get a prize too? Uh, you get to go first. Oh, that's some price. <laughs> <laughs> the pressure of going first. <laughs> but yeah, The Birds, 1963 film by Alfred Hitchcock, one of his most famous. Uh, I think really it's only Psycho that um, nudges it out for recognition. Mm. Very, very good. Based on a short story, and when I say based, I mean very loosely based, as in they kept the course concept and the name and nothing else. That bodes well for my song because I watched the film and kept kind of the core concept and just nothing else. <laughs> well, you're you're operating in the spirit of Hitchcock then. It's fine. I like to think so. Um, so, uh, yeah, as Declan said, I am going first this week um, and I've got a song which I'll explain afterwards, but for the time being... It's called I Don't Like the Birds. <laughs> what an awful film we just watched. Um, so it's called Guard Dogs... And it goes like this. Are you sure it shouldn't be called Guard Birds? Oh, damn it. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. I just don't know how you do it. What I hear, you're not so different from the likes of me I prostrate myself before you And leave my burden at your bended knee Won't you lay down your oars on the shoreline Call off your god dogs for me 
Nothing can be taken for free But had to break them Admittedly the church fell down From fires in the street I lost everything you gave me But I will gather roses at my feet Won't you lay down the cross on your shoulder Sail down the river with me up your salvation for free pick up your salvation for free oh wait lord i've got more to say i've got more than sadness in my heart who now listen to me pray who else made that journey from the start? If I were to walk you through it Initially I'd fall down crying wasted at your feet I've no love to give tomorrow The birds can come and eat away at me don't you sigh at the labor of tomorrow Or call off your god dogs for me, yeah Nothing can be taken for free Nothing can be taken for free Oh, nothing can be taken for free song i really like that thank you um that's a very cool intro you've got there i quite like that you're using like one four and five like disguised with that um uh uh that run and using the open strings and everything to sort of set you up for the first verse being weird mm, yeah and it, it really is a setup isn't it because it's yeah. like right. um, here's the key signature and on with the show and not really yeah exactly it's like um so I kind of... It was based on a discussion we had last week where we talked about um, uh, I'll Be Back, is it, by the Beatles? Which, yes. Which uh, starts on a... Minor and minor. goes to a major by the end of the sequence. One, two, three, one, two, you know If you break my Yeah, I mean, and the idea of, of changing up the minor and the major... Um, just really appealed to me so i was like okay i know i want my intro to be in g major well i say g major again i'm a tone down for for anybody listening uh so i knew i wanted like that kind of very happy sounding because you can imagine someone maybe coming up with that and then basing an entire song around that in that key signature yes which isn't a wrong thing to do yeah. But it's just nice to have more things but it, I, it's like one of my favorite things to do when i'm songwriting to have to set up an expectation and completely subvert it, like, quite quickly. So 
um, that sets up a very happy thing. And then by the time you get to the um, to the D here, the five, that can be the five of going back to I'm singing a happy song here, or it could be the five of going to the G minor. Same thing, you know. Yeah. Um, so I. So I go to the G minor. Now, originally I was playing the beginning of the verse down here, like, I just don't know how you do it. I'm playing, like, kind of below the fifth fret here on the guitar. But what I kind of intended to do was match the first chord of the verses to the melody. So I was like, I just don't know how you do it. What is the I? I was like, I, find it, find it, I. Okay, that's on a D. So if I play a G minor up here, then the... D is the top string, so I think it's referred to as voice leading in music theory. So, I and also it helps me sing it, get that first note in there. Just don't know how you do it. Then I got A seven. I did wonder why you did that to start with. Yeah, and then it's like kind of. I mean, this is a very visual thing, but it's just much easier to move between these two yeah. um, than it would be any other way to play it. So I'll I'll tell you the the verse chords. Um, um, because I'm rather pleased with how they turned out. Um, so you got G minor. I just don't know how you A7 do it. Um, and then you got C minor. From what I hear, you're not so different. And then I've kind of got this uh, diminished over A, which I think is just an A diminished chord. Correct me if I'm wrong. I would call that A diminished. Uh, hooray for diminished chords. I should also note that you are a tone down. Yeah. If anyone's trying to play along at home. Yeah. And then, um, and then... D7, obviously leading nicely back into either G major or G minor. The so power you, of the fifth chord. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So like via that fifth chord, you kind of got choices every time you play it. Like, do I go major here or minor? So that's why it kind of the verse has a has a kind of two times round. And then so by the time you get to the chorus, it goes back to major again. And the whole tone of the lyrics changes as well. So um uh so on the chorus, you got, um, won't you lay, so back to the one, which is your G major now, lay down your oars, B minor, on the shoreline, very diatonic, very like a country song, you know. One, three, four, essentially, at that point. Yeah, exactly. And then here you got this thing I stole from the Beach Boys, which is uh, in a song called Let's Put Our Hearts Together, which is where they're playing in G, and then they'll play a B sus four. Which is kind of... It could be a B minor sus four. It could be a B major sus four. It's like yeah. it's a nice way to have a major third without actually having a major third. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So, um, and then I was going to go to E minor there, but what I do is I go B sus B C A seven, and then just four five one. A7 is the major second of that key scale, and it's one you, you quite like using major seconds. Oh, I do, yeah. So it fits in really nicely there, because you've got that sort of run of notes from uh, B to C, essentially, mm. all linked along that line. Yes, yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. So um, that's just the way I think about chords, it's just like, how many of them share the same notes? Right. So I, I kind of had quite a, quite a basic chorus, but what I like about this song is that the verse has such a sinister feel and the chorus has such a happy feel. And the fact that I managed to bridge them, I was like, once I did that, I was like, yes, good. Um, and then, of course, the other uh, key section here, so you've got your verse, you've got your chorus, and another key section is the bridge, which is very much just a country song bridge. You go to your four here for the C. Oh, Lord. Back to the root. I've got more to say. So, four, one. 
I've got more than sadness in my heart to the five, and basically just that is that, until you get to who else made this journey from the start, then you got the five again, with mm. the option of where do I go, major or minor, and so I go to the minor for the third and final verse. If I were to walk you through it. And then you, you know, back there. So that's kind of it musically. Anything I haven't covered there? Not that I can think of. It's there's not many parts, but the parts are very interesting. If that Thank makes you. Sense. Thank you. I'm really well put together. I do quite like that. Thanks a lot. Um, so, words. Words and birds. Words and birds. <laughs> Might be a title. Um, so, okay, right. I've tried to think about how to talk about this to you, and. I'll just try and ad lib it. So the first thing that hit me was Melanie's character was just very headstrong and very free-willed. It's kind of odd in that it's almost a feminist film in that like you've got quite a lot of strong female characters. In fact, it's the guy who feels like the token character there, like the token love interest, mm. which for 1963 is quite progressive. Yeah, definitely. Whether intentional or not. So I, I just looked at her and I thought... I mean, she's so likable, this Melanie character, and she's, she does what she wants, and she's, she kind of flies by the seat of her pants, so to speak, and all this stuff. And I was like, that's a great character thing, and it's something that I admire in people. I like confidence in people, and it's something I, I would like to foster more of in myself. So I wrote that down in my little book, Melanie is Confident, or whatever I wrote, something really basic. Two thumbs up. <laughs> and then, I mean, this is my interpretation of the film. I don't know whether this is, like, correct or not, but... There is a, there's no correct way to interpret a film. So I saw just that um, unhealthy attachment to the mother as, you know, um, as, as the kind of like the, the key thing of the film, which is reflected in the, in the symbology of the birds, you know. Um, every time Melanie comes near, so do the birds, and the birds attack and attack and attack until the end of the film. Um, and so I thought of this concept of, like, what are my so-called birds? Or what are my defensive mechanisms as a person? And um, try to sort of contrast... <laughs> I told this would be hard to talk about. <laughs> try to contrast my own uh, defensive mechanisms, um, i.e. the birds, the symbology of that, with... We contrast that with the confidence of Melanie and the free will of Melanie, who doesn't really seem to have any of those defensive mechanisms, and if anything, is just trying to, um, you know, be close to to somebody. You know, well, it's kind of like she's she's in one sense she's all defensive mechanisms, and then she's not as well because she's like she likes playing pranks. She's a compulsive liar. Like the minute. Uh, mm. Something awkward comes up, she makes up an excuse, whether, like, mean-spirited or no. It's just, you know, part of her character. Mm. And it's, you know, acting with perceived privilege of the fact that, you know, she comes from a wealthy family and background and everything, mm. which sort of gives her her free reign, but then it also means that people will, you know, assume that she's just coasting on that or that, you know, she's vapid, which she's not. You know, she's... Yeah. Uh, She's a very determined person. Like, she travels all the way to Bodega Bay just to make a point to this guy. Just like, yeah, screw you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, um, I mean, and that's kind of where I left it as far as the film goes. I knew I wanted to talk about um, my defensive mechanisms and how I have a tendency to close off um, with people. And also about just admiring the confidence of another person. No, no matter who that is. Somebody in your life who you look at and go... 
wow, they're so confident. I wish I had more um, traits like they do, you know? Mm. So hence the first line of the verse. I just don't know how you do it. How are you that confident, you know? Um, She's an actor. (laughs) And then uh, from what I hear, you're not so different from the likes of me. Um, And then it becomes this sort of like, because it's such the dark such a dark feel to the music you couldn't then just go oh rainbows and lollipops in the lyrical matter could you then over that well no exactly so so i thought i'd you know take that to its its natural extreme and like kind of turn this person into a god and revere them so i prostrate myself before you and i leave my burden at your bended knee like you were with the guru or someone Mm. you go to them and you go i you know oh exalted one you know Please teach me your wisdom. So that's kind of like how the how the verses play out. And then the choruses, I've been trying this a little bit more recently, where the choruses take on a different persona or a different aspect of my own personality than the verses. So not so much groveling and, you know, trying to better myself, but the verses are, um, you know, stop worrying about stuff. Lay down your oars at the shoreline, which is that particular line there, won't you lay down your oars at the shoreline, is a reference to two things. The first one is, in the film, Melanie crosses the lake, right? Yes. And she, on a boat, and then she goes into the house and leaves the lovebirds in the house, right? Yes. And um, and so she obviously has to leave the boat on the, you know, tie it up and go into the, the house. Jetty. On the jetty, yeah. So there was that imagery which um, kind of made its way into the song. But also it's... um. I'm going to butcher this, but it's also a paraphrasing of a Buddhist quote, which basically says the teachings of Buddhism are like a raft that you sail across the river. You use the raft, you've used the teachings, but once you get to the other side of the river, don't take the raft with you, is basically what that is. (laughs) You're already there, you've arrived. Um, So that's basically, that line is, is talking about that. And then it's saying, call off your guard dogs or call off the birds, you know. So we, we don't yeah. need these defensive mechanisms. It's actually completely redundant and we don't need to be this closed off anymore. So that's kind of what the choruses are saying. But um, something I like to do with the choruses sometimes when I have time, and usually we don't because we write quite quickly usually, is I'll try and keep the same melody but like change the lyrics for the chorus. So on the second chorus you got, won't you lay down the cross on your shoulder? So which is talking about the thing of... Um, it's, it's like kind of a biblical thing in a sense, like Jesus carries a cross on his shoulder. And... uh deep this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've been listening to a lot of Alan Watts, if you know who that is. I want to quote Lazio or Alan Watts, but what good would it do? Uh, yes. Um, so, won't you lay down the cross on your shoulder? So, everybody carries their own cross, and that's a kind of a call to arms to put it down. You don't need to carry this burden around for the rest of your life or else you're going to be miserable, you know? That's talking to myself, really. Um, sail down the river with me, pick up your salvation for free. So, I mean, again, the same sort of thing, more of a positive look at that. And then um, in the third chorus, it's basically the same as the first chorus, apart from this line here where I say, um, don't you sigh at the labour of tomorrow, which is basically saying that there is redemption in work um, and activity and participating with people. Um, and then in the second verse, I took this sort of, like, religious tone again, for no particular reason apart from that it sounded cool with the chords, of, um, I made plans but had to break them. Admittedly, the church fell down for fires in the street. Um, (laughs) which is kind of a weird line. There's no real 
grand meaning to that. But it's kind of Eleanor Rigby-esque in the sense that it's like Father Mackenzie darning his socks. In the middle of the night where there's no one there, yeah. Yeah, that sort of dark, um, almost like uh, 18th century imagery, very British uh, religious imagery. Yeah, so that's the lyrics. They are a mixed bag, I'll say that. But it's basically just talking about how, um, like I say, how I have my own defensive mechanisms and in an attempt to leave them behind... I'll try and engage with things more. Is essentially it. I love how you've used the film as a springboard to go into your own psychosis. It's brilliant. <laughs> hey, what else is songwriting for? <laughs> Mood. Um. <laughs> I, I always think that, like, if I'm going to write lyrics, more and more these days, I'm like, if I've got to write some lyrics, I may as well write about something that I feel or something that I want to work through or express. So, um... It's kind of similar to that Zapper idea, isn't it? Like, um... People like records of the human voice, so if I've got to put lyrics, I may as well have something that means something. Yeah, me. yeah, definitely. I mean, that's not to say that every song I write will be like this. Some songs can be far less uh, in-depth than this or whatever. But that's basically the lyrics, and I've done the music. And why do I feel like I'm missing something that I haven't spoken about? Um, were there any more hidden references to the birds in there, or is it...? Well, there's, um, the birds can come and eat away at me, <laughs> which is uh, in the third verse. Um, but then that kind of just sort of rhymes with feet. So wasted at your feet. Um, you know, the birds can come and eat away at me. It's got that E sound. Um, I needed something for the last line. I thought, I haven't referenced the birds a great deal. So if I just put the birds in the third verse, then, hey, you know, I'm ticking another box. Yeah, <laughs> it's in there. <laughs> um, but no other great reference to the birds, um... Only that I had it in my head while I was writing, if that makes sense. I was just thinking of the film. Every new lyric, I was like, hmm, that'll do. And then uh, the fire, because there's obviously the fire in the film, isn't there? So there's a fire in the church. So it's almost like repurposing a lot of the imagery for my own needs. It's kind of similar to when I've done before... uh, What was the song called? Did you see this when we met? Yeah. Which is based around the adventures and the plot of Amelie. But then it is also, like, into bits of me own head and everything yeah so it's and like same thing with Redmond Barry a little bit those Mm. are both more focused on the plot of the films but there is quite a bit of introspection there as well so it's interesting you seeing you take that like a stage further yeah and uh yeah I think that's a really cool song like that project you were mentioning before um the podcast one with the strings and everything yeah I think that would suit that really well yeah thanks thanks I think I think that's definitely one that would be on it um but yeah, I mean, just just uh, with the lyric thing, I think they say right about what you know. That's like the oldest advice in the book, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, I think with a challenge like this, there is a tendency for me to think, oh, I really should write about this scene or or that or that. But then I think with this one, I allowed myself the freedom to just use it as a springboard. So like, okay, I like that character and I like that uh, symbology. Here we go. And I write my own thing about that rather than trying to like get too many references in. Mm. Mm-hmm. So... But yeah, it's really nice. I really like that. It's, uh, I'd be interested to hear that on nylon, actually. That'd be kind of cool, wouldn't it? Yeah. Like, a, yeah, a nylon version of that would be really cool. Right. Okay, that's mine. I'm looking forward to hearing yours. Uh, don't. <laughs> cool. So this is my song this week, inspired by the birds. It's called Tippy and Mel.
brain pans it won't A sinister foe is just what our monkey brains need Break us away from societal wills And trains by the speeches and women and ideals Emotional labour and well-being steals Social acceptance and cliffhanger feels what they say in the films Snap. we're ever going to get of that but I, you know closest we're ever going to get hey it's a new song you know yeah it's not the weekly performance podcast as you often say yeah um i should just say mm-hmm. uh the process for this one was very rushed um i actually haven't had a day off since the last recording day so i've had to do this in snatch lunch times and like a couple of hours before i get home and like, i've been working late all uh, week. So, like, I have maybe, like, an hour at lunch and an hour in the evening to try and get something together. So this is one where the words came first. Okay. So this song's called Tippy and Mel, uh, Mel for Melanie Daniels, and Tippy for Tippy Hendren, who Mm. plays her. And the key thing that started off the idea for the lyrics was, um, there is one thing I really envy about characters in horror movies, and that is that they have brilliant clarity of purpose. Like, (laughs) suddenly nothing matters except just trying to survive the monster. Um, Which I suppose is sort of the fuel of that thought that most people think, like, oh, it would be great if we could go back to the hunter-gatherer's time where it would all be so simple, despite the fact that you would be suffering and hungry and starving and, you know, life would be shit. But anyway, uh, I think there's a point where we all think, you know, I really would just like to have one problem to deal with 
and only mm. have to be focused on that rather than a million small problems. That's really relatable, yeah. Uh, which comes out most prominently in the bridge, like the what would I give to be locked in the screen, all I need to do is hit my mark and scream. <laughs> That's a good line. Uh, yeah, don't bump into the furniture, essentially. <laughs> uh the birds starts off for like the first 20 minutes, half an hour, essentially being like the adventures of Melanie Daniels as she's sort of getting to know this guy who I've completely forgotten the character's name. Yeah, I have as well. Uh, I told you it's disposable love interest. <laughs> um, but uh, small things start happening and then about half an hour into the film, uh, the birds start attacking en masse, mm. uh, at which point the goal becomes less will they, won't they. Uh, it becomes more... Are they going to survive? Yeah. Or, like, what damage can the birds actually do? Yeah. Which is sort of... I'd almost be glad for the birds to swoop down from the sky. Better the devil you know than you don't. Uh, better a force on a physical plane who revel in real in torture and pain than ones who delight in cerebral grains. I had to mangle the pronunciation of that because I couldn't think of another word better than cerebral that fit in there. And because of their brain pans, they won't. Just kind of, you know... the. the so far as the film presents the information, the birds aren't really being vindictive or anything. Mm. Or, like, they're not trying to play clever mind games. It's just they decide to attack. Mm. Like almost a switch clicks and they're just yeah, doing that, it. That's, okay, spoilers for the film, but this is one of the brilliant things about the birds is that it never, ever explains why. Mm. Like, uh, you know, it's just left up to the viewer's imagination. Have they just all gone nuts? Will this, um, you know, continue past the events of the film? Mm-hmm. But there's a great scene in a diner where there's an old lady who's like an expert on birds and they're discussing uh, the strange behaviour of the birds and she says something like, oh, birds have no capacity for a, uh, a coordinated attack. Their brain, pads, their brain pans are too small. So it's just thinking, like, I want to get the word brain pan in there <laughs> somewhere. <laughs> Remind me, what context did you get that in, brain pan? Uh, the notes of delight in cerebral games, and because of their brain pans, they won't. <laughs> That's good. Um, seeing as we were doing this one about film, I thought I'd sneak in a couple of other references in the uh, second verse. So that's just talking about, oh, wouldn't it be good to break away from society? We live in a society. But anyway, um, uh, the line there is, from train spotting speeches and with nail ideals, which... Mm. Uh, Train Spotting and With Nail and I are both fantastic films. I love them to bits. Mm. Uh, like Train Spotting has that very famous speech at the beginning, which is you know set to lust to life. It's you know choose a life, choose it, uh, and choose. Ironically, saying choose all of you know the thing the culture has provided for us, and then you've got With Nail and I, which is like you know a bad actor <laughs> essentially angry at the world for not recognising him and I having to deal with that. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah, it's a great film. If, have you seen either of them? I actually haven't seen either of those films. Oh, my God, man, you need to watch them both. They're great. Um, uh, anyway. <laughs> uh, this sort of thing, it would be nice to get away from real-world problems actually sort of tied in really well with the birds, actually, because... Um, uh, Tippi Hendren didn't have a great time filming the birds. Mm. Like her relationship to Hitchcock is a bit troubled. I mean, she starred in two of his films, The Bird and Marnie, but in the years since, she's said, "Oh, he was being inappropriate to me at certain points," and you know, uh, there's a whole discussion that you can have on 
uh, Hitchcock's attempted relationship with Tippi Hendren. It's just like, okay, not going there, but that's bad. Uh, we can just take that for red. And then mm. during the actual production of The Birds, uh, she actually suffered quite a few physical um, sort of physical problems as well. Like, you know that scene where she's in the phone booth? Yeah. And the birds are all hitting the glass, and then there's one that smashes the glass. Yeah. Uh, she was told that glass was uh, shatterproof. Right. So and I it don't, wasn't. Yeah. So she wasn't having fun with that. And you know that scene where she goes into the... Uh, mega spoilers, by the way. You know that scene where she goes into the attic? Yeah. Towards yeah. the end of the yeah, film? Yeah. Uh-huh. And, like, there's all the crows there. Mm. She was told that they were going to throw some of the mechanical birds at her mm. um, for filming that scene. And they threw real crows at her. Jesus. To the point where she actually ended up being hospitalised for a little bit. Um, oh, God. Like Hitchcock, there's a quote where Hitchcock says, uh, well, can I have her back? I need to finish my scene. And the doctor goes, what are you trying to do? Kill her. <laughs> wow. It got to the... It's so, it was so bad that, you know, when the lead male was carrying her down the stairs? Yeah. The reason... She's got a face cover for all of that, and the reason is because that's not Tippi Hendren. Because she was in hospital? Yeah. Wow. So I think when they came back, they sort of had to play it a bit safer with her. Uh, she has described that since as being the worst week of her life. God, that's so dark. Yeah. But um, she did decide to do another uh, Hitchcock film, so it, it presumably it wasn't all bad. I'm not an expert on that. But she's gone on to do great things since, so things worked out, so... But, yeah, she did not have a good time doing that film at all. Mm. So that's why you have Tippy and Mel both went through ordeals, but it's lucky for Daniels that none of that was real. Yeah, you know, right. It's a good thing about horror literature or, like, um, uh, thrillers or anything with, like, personal, conf- uh, like, really deep conflict is the fact that it's escapist. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter that Obi-Wan Kenobi cuts off a guy's arm in the cantina scene in Star Wars because that isn't real. Yeah, no one was actually hurt or anything. Yeah. yeah. But if someone did that for real in a bar, mm. then obviously that becomes a lot worse because there's actually consequences attached to that. Uh, and though the crows may gather and wait, at least they dispersed upon cut. We will talk about the music at some point, and do tell me to shut up if yeah, I'm going on too long. this is interesting. It's good stuff. I like to hear about the lyrics. Uh, and though the crows may gather and wait, at least they dispersed upon cut. So that's a reference to the scene. It's another really famous scene. Uh, it's the Rizzleti Rossity scene where Menley is waiting outside the church for the school teacher Anna Hayworth. I can remember that character. I can't remember the guy. <laughs> um, to uh, finish up uh, her lesson. Yes. And it's a brilliant example of Hitchcock's philosophy on suspense. Have you heard this? No, no. Tell me. Okay. So the idea with Hitchcock is he has this famous speech. You can YouTube it, but he says, okay, imagine you have a scene where people talk for three minutes about cricket and then a bomb goes off under the table. Mm-hmm. And people are shocked for, you know, a few seconds. And then the next scene of the film comes on. Right, yep. Uh, Hitchcock suggests the alternative, tell the audience that there is a bomb under the table. And then let the characters who don't know this have that same conversation about whatever it is. And the entire mood changes because then you have the audience screaming at the screen, get out of there, there is a bomb. That's brilliant, I like that. And there's a brilliant demonstration of that with um, this scene at the church. This is stopping the Weekly Song podcast. This is start, you know, the armchair director's podcast. I love this stuff. But um, 
uh, the scene starts off with a shot of Melanie Daniels uh, looking away from a climbing frame in the playground and a crow lands on it. By this point, there have already been a few bird attacks and we know that they're dangerous. Right. And the camera keeps cutting back to Melanie looking around to the church to see whether uh, Anna has finished and then looking back and smoking a cigarette. It does this a number of times and the amount of birds that come and rest on the playground Mm. behind her increases each time. And as a viewer, you're just going, has she noticed? Did she notice that time? Mm. And then it's on the master shot, it cuts back. She turns around and the jungle gym is like covered with birds. It's that brilliant suspense thing. The audience knows more than the characters and they are desperate for them to get out of that situation. Yeah. But the thing that went through my mind is that this didn't happen so far as I'm aware, but imagine if you just had those crows loose there and someone did the clapperboard after the scene. Cut! And then all the birds would go away. (laughs) So far as I'm aware, that didn't happen. But um, you can imagine it happening, though. Yeah. But it sort of ties into the artifice of filmmaking. Something that is so scary on the screen would actually, in real life, most likely be safe. And funny. Yeah. Yeah. The next verse uh, is just basically based around... I just wanted to have... The line, the universe plays four-dimensional chess and the rest of us stuck playing checkers originally. Mm. But when I actually tried to put this to music, it didn't fit. Plus, the first couple of lines were really clunky. So I swapped that round for Snap because it's funnier because it's a simpler game. Yeah, I, I've got to say, I love that line. And the fact that it was Snap rather than checkers, Snap has this more, like, infantile quality to it as a word and as a game. So that, that was a great line. Yeah, um... But it's, it's just restating like, oh, it wouldn't be nice to have just one goal and all you have to do is survive or all you have to do is run or all you have to do is this, that, or the other. Mm. Um, in the bridge, wondering if we get to the bridge, past a couple of hours, we get to live. So, with uh, the birds, originally there was going to be another sequence after it ends. Um, again, mega, mega spoilers, but the house that they all end up in is surrounded by birds. Like, there are birds literally everywhere. Yeah. And they're not attacking, but they are unnaturally still. Like, you know, they're planning something. Yeah. And they have to walk to the car, Mm. drive, and head off. They're trying to get to San Francisco. And that's the end of the film. And you have no idea whether, you know, whether the birds suddenly attacked at that point or, you know, whether that was just the end of it. There was originally going to be a scene uh, where they end up going back to San Francisco, but they see the... Is it the Golden Gate Bridge? Uh, In San Francisco, yeah. 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 They see the Golden Gate Bridge, and it's covered with birds. Oh, wow. Which, again, is one of the... I'm so glad they cut that scene, because one of the really good things is that Once you get to Bodega Bay, all the action is centred there, so you have no idea whether that's just the birds there Mm, or whether mm. it's the birds all across the world. Yeah. And by showing the birds in San Francisco, that sort of demystifies it a little bit, like, oh, it is all the birds. But, like, in the film as is, it is really ambiguous, like, is this going to happen all across the world or is it just in this town? And then it also, like, leaves the big question mark of... If it is just in Bodega Bay, then is that just a reflection of 
uh, Melanie coming to the town and disturbing the relationship with the mother, or is this a global thing? Or what well, that's, is actually, that's actually sort of present in the film. There's, <laughs> it's a bit gnarly, but it's uh, there's that scene where after the birds essentially blow up uh, a petrol station or cause a petrol station to be blown up, there's that scene where they go back into the diner where they're having this enlightened discussion. It's actually the brain pan discussion beforehand. Mm. Uh, and you have that woman there who was, like, trying to say, like, could you could you keep this down? You're scaring the children. Yeah. And I think that's her anyway. Um, and she uh, looks at Melanie Daniels and says, this all started when you came here. I don't know what you've done, but these birds started attacking. The moment you get here, I think you're evil. Evil! Uh, literally just like that. And Melanie just slaps a one. And it's just brilliant. <laughs> that is funny, though, because like, that's, that's the, the only perspective I had on it, was Melanie is interested in the guy whose name we cannot remember for the life of us, but the mother do, is possessive. So, therefore, the birds attack. That's the only way I took it. I didn't see it as any other way. But it's interesting that there are different well, it's, ways it's, to look at it. It's still looking at, like, the birds happening because of Melanie, which, you know, from a meta perspective, of course they do, because she's our lead character. We have to follow her experiences, and if they didn't happen, it'd be a very boring film. Of course, yeah. Or, like, at least a least interesting film. But, like, the question is, like, is it... Are the birds attacking because the birds are horror movie characters or are the birds attacking because of something far more psychological and yeah. relationship-based between they, the humans? Are they just dumb animals or have they? is this like a coordinated attack? Like, yeah. who knows? This is, again, this is the beauty of leaving the birds that ambiguous. And it's I think it's Hitchcock learning from his mistake in Psycho. Have mm. you seen... You haven't yeah, seen... Yeah, I've seen Psycho, yeah. Okay, cool. You know the therapist scene at the end? yeah. This is just turning into the Hitchcock podcast. I do apologise, everyone. We will get on to the music at some point. Um, but uh, Hitchcock really didn't like the therapist scene mm-hmm. once he saw the finished cut of the film because it explains too much. Right, right, right. Uh, you leave behind all the ambiguity of, well, what happened to make Norman Bates take on this persona? Yeah. You have the doc- <laughs> yeah, talk to me in this good old-timey American voice coming in just going... <laughs> Well, you see, we were. What happened was he, uh, you know, uh, lost his mother, and he took over her personality because he was. She was a dominating force in his mind, and it's like, okay, you could just cut that. <laughs> yes. And maybe move straight to the that wonderful scene, uh, if Anthony Perkins just in the uh, psychiatric ward, just staying exactly still with the voiceover there, mm-hmm. which. Um, Sorry, I'm just gushing about Hitchcock now. Um, the only other bits to the lyrics, and though the goals may peck out your eyes, at least they can't get at your soul. Uh, the last few lines, uh, allow you, which I actually had to model through. And though your life has fully collapsed, at least you're sure of your goals, your purpose can only unfold. So that's what those lines were meant to be. That's just the central thesis of the song. Mm. And though the goals may peck out your eyes, at least they can't eat out your soul. There's a brilliant bit uh, where the mother goes to check with another farmer whose birds aren't eating their bird seed. Uh, she finds a room in tatters and there's she sees a man lying on the ground the camera cuts around as she walks into the room and she sees a man with his eyes pecked out and it's just one of the brilliant images from the film because it zooms in on four jump cuts 
closer and closer to the man's face. So, like, from the moment you see it, like, you know, every time I click my fingers will be a change of shot. So, looking around the room, seeing the man's legs, moving around, shots of the man. It's just that quick and then just out of there. Yeah. And because the birds has no score, mm. it's completely silent and it's just utterly unsettling. That this is something that loads of horror directors could learn today. It's just that you do not need scare chords. Yeah. You just need well-presented visuals. This has just become a film podcast yeah. at this point. <laughs> yeah. But that's why that's there. It's just because that's one of the key images that stuck with me from the film. Um, great lyrics. I like them a lot. Some really great lines in there too. Just one-off lines as well. Cool. So that was written like on the Sunday on my lunch. Oh, okay. Um, and then when I got home, I only had like about an hour and a half to write the lyrics. So originally it's going to be like... I had that riff and I was thinking like, okay, I can put something to that. Yeah. But it was just too complicated. If I'd been able to work on that for a week, mm. that would have been fine. But I didn't have that, so I just thought, okay, let's just keep this to one chord then. So that ended up being like G minor, but you're moving the fifth down to down a semitone and back again. So in this case, it's D to C sharp. Uh, mm -hmm. So that ends up being the basis for the first two phrases, and then ascending from C up to G to get back. Uh, e flat, F, G, while keeping that. D and G there um, all the time. It's kind of essentially doing Wonderwall chords, but, like, interesting. Right. It's not just going... But you, you do have a pedal of some sort there, a pedal being something that just stays constant in the, in the chordal movement. Yeah, that's to try and keep that um, G minor sort of in everyone's minds. Right. Um, and then that's sort of... That's all there is to the verses. And then... The chorus. Nice chord. Yeah, that's keeping that G minor bit there. Uh, and then putting on... Originally it was just the E flat like that, but mm -hmm. I like putting that on there as well. Then you've got the G in there too, yeah. Uh, so that ends up being an E flat major 7. Uh, and then I ended up putting that on there, which is A flat, uh, E flat, Skip a string and then the G minor bit again. Really weird to have that as the bass note because that's a semitone higher than the root of the song, isn't it? In the, in the bass there. Yeah, because essentially what I thought, <laughs> like I was sort of rushing that through the first time I was playing it, and I thought I was just playing a uh, normal A flat minor. So I thought it was doing. Mm. But then when I realised. Like that's an ugly chord. You can't you can't use it in many places. But to go back to that G minor there, I think that's really interesting. It's effective too because it definitely wants to resolve because of its weirdness and ugliness. And you know exactly where it's going to go as well. So just two of that round, and then so that's just going back to E flat major seven, mm -hmm. uh, and then raising the bass up and down from E flat E F E which I was that's meant to be the notes that are sung as well but because I haven't had much time to practice this one 
uh, that ended up being shaky. That's still the bit I need to sort of get into my voice, as it were. Right, yeah, yeah. It's just to get more semitonal movement in there, and then using the first two chorus chords again to get back into the... So that's that. And then the only other real musical bit in there is the C minor to A flat to B flat for the bridge, because I was literally running out of time. I could be noisy at this point. Right, right, right. So it's like, okay, I need something. What would I give to be loud in the screen? It's like, okay, that works. Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so it's not the most well thought out or put together song in the world, but it works. Uh, the only bit I'm a bit worried about, and I'm going to fess up to this, uh, the melody for the chorus. Tippy and Mel both went through ordeals. Mm -hmm. I am certain I've used this in another song. It's ringing so many bells in my head, but I can't think of what it is for the life of me. It'll hit you at some point, if, yeah. if you have. Yeah, no, I'm almost certain I have. Right. So, I've, But that wasn't... I only realised that yesterday. So I thought I'd fess up to that now, but I can't remember what it is. If I can remember what it is, I'll probably leave a comment at this point on SoundCloud or something. And if anyone in the audience knows what it is, please message in and tell me how much of an idiot I am. <laughs> well, this might make you feel a little bit better. In my bridge, where I go, um, Wait, Lord, I've got more to say. I've got more than sadness in my heart. I'm sure I've used that before. <laughs> that exact melody over those chords. But I can't think of what it is, so you and I both have the same problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's finish me yammering about stuff that is everything i have to say about that cool i got a couple of questions if you don't mind uh so first one quite a brief question i suppose is you got the g minor thing as a very reoccurring theme right so was there any particular influence from an artist you've been listening to or anything that fed into having a riff that you returned to um uh throughout the song not really um or was that just a good ground base to write quickly? Um, it was just a good ground to write quickly, essentially. Mm. The first time I did that C-sharp to D thing was just a bit of an accident. So uh, I thought, well, I'll just keep it on there for a bit and then see how long I can go without changing the chord. Oh, OK, yeah. Which I thought, because uh, I've got essentially a random line... Rhyme one, rhyme two, rhyme two, rhyme two, rhyme one. I thought, okay, mm. if I make all those rhyme twos, like the ascending part, keep the rhyme ones and the random line, like on the G minor. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. And then my only other question was, whenever people write lyrics first before music, it always sparked my curiosity in the sense that. Um, so I suppose the question is, when you were writing the lyrics without a guitar in your hand, were you writing with a particular sort of rhythm and structure, like rhythmically speaking in mind, or were you just like writing a poem that you would later set to chords? Um, the first verse was just kind of written more or less as is. Mm. Uh, I swapped out a couple of words, uh, but then that's... I sort of had the first line, uh, sort of spoke that through, saw where the pauses landed, and then the next one through I wrote with that sort of structure in mind. Got it. Yeah, I see. So, like, yes and no. There was no structure to start with, but once I knew how to speak 
the next line, uh, the first line, all yeah. the others had to follow. That's a big reason why the third verse changed a lot. So uh, the third verse originally was simple objectives is best where our monkey brains work. A line to a goal spelled out in letters, blinkers on straight till we reach our rest, each of us knowing we're doing our best. The universe plays four-dimensional chess with the rest of us playing at checkers. Mm. So it sort of fits the rhythm, but then when you try to put that to music, it doesn't work. Mm, yeah. So, sort of, no, yes, no is the answer to that. I, that's interesting. I just found that stuff interesting because, as you know, I always write chords and melody and lyrics right at the same time. So it's like... I always have that tick box to go by. So it's just interesting for me to hear, like, a different uh, approach, that's all. Yeah, I mean, it's not normally what I do. Normally I get the music first. Mm. And maybe I'll have, like, a line or two. Mm. But the music will be pretty much done, and then I'll put the words to it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, A good example of that is Siege of of Wuthering Heights. The only thing I knew that I wanted in there was that line, Siege of Wuthering Heights. Mm. But I had the music more or less sorted, and then I put the words to it. Yeah, no, that's interesting. It, it, it would be interesting to hear what other people do in, in that instance. Do they do lyrics first, chords first, or both at the same time? It's actually an interesting thing. We could do, like, a survey of our listeners. Yeah, email in. <laughs> chords first, lyrics first, both at the same time, or other. Yeah, instrumental. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I find that doing the lyrics at the same time as the melody it just cements everything a lot more. And, like, all the rhymes are in place and all the rhymes match the tone of which chord they're, they're on, if I, that makes sense. That's going to match... It's sort of, like... Is it the sonality where, like, the key signature matches the intent of the words or anything? Or have I got that completely wrong? I think wrong? sonality is the right word, yeah. Yeah, like, you've got to sort of guarantee that. You bake it into the song at conception. Mm, yeah. Um, I think at least having some kind of, like... Just speaking for me personally, having some kind of emotional theme to talk about while I'm doing the chords helps a lot, even if it's just, like, just a tone to sing about, something to say, and the type of words, like, if I'm going to write a minor song, having songs like... having lyrics like uh, heartbreak and tears and that sort of thing, those words have a particular sort of, like, sound to them which can match the particular chords, in my mind, anyway. Mm. Um, but, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, I, I pretty much agree... Uh, but uh, it's just not the way I write, sadly. Yeah, I mean, it's just different strokes for different... Um, folks. Folks. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, was that all for that one? I think so, yeah. Really cool song. Really oh, like it. Thank you. Um, it needs a lot of work. Some of your best lyrics, I think, of this season. Really cool stuff. If only they were paired to a nice melody. That's the thing, like, I'm having to sing way down here... Just... Because I need the my need my top register to go up into the chorus. It's the same problem I've had with other songs in the past. Yeah, I get it's, that with stuff too. It's just this one I solved by like putting it down here. Mm. It's it's such a tricky thing. I get the same thing. That's why I, I'll probably cut this bit up. But this that's why I tune down so often is because I'll write a song in standard. I don't write in this quite you know toned down, and I'll get to the chorus and it's like. It's like, oh, crap, okay, well, well, I want to keep my verse, so I'll have to take the whole thing down a tone. Well, the thing is, Roger, at least you can get up there, more or less. <laughs> like, I stop here. But for me, it's like, <laughs> it's like, even though I can get up there, I can reach it, but my vocal, like, strength and the melody sounding nice ends a little lower than that, you know? Oh, it depends on, like, uh... Again, the sonality, like the the mixture of like words, meaning, and the actual lyric. Like a good mm. example of you using that to 
your strength is uh, Grand Pier earlier this season with a do 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 on my panic attack like the going up to yeah is it, is it your falsetto range or is it like, yeah it's falsetto in the panic attack line yeah yeah it's like matching the note with the word and using your higher register to be able to like bring out the meaning definitely I mean I think or emphasize it at least I think the thing that's always on my mind with this stuff is like. I, I love using those notes, but like more and more these days, I'll use them in every song, but sparingly. So like the whole if the whole chorus was, it's like that it loses so much body. I think having it down here and then suddenly it goes up here for a second and then it comes back down. It has more of an emotional resonance, and I get to use my chest voice to like still retain that strength, you know. Mm. But anyway. But anyway. <laughs> pitch talk. It's it's pitch talk, folks. Yes. Um, pitch talk, pitch talk, you got it all this week. <laughs> <laughs> pitch talk, pitch talk, never, never snitch talk. Okay, we've actually had Nemo in this week. Uh, it's another returning writer, uh, Ben Older, who, uh, yes, he has sent in a song and he writes. Hey, Ben. No, he doesn't. That would be weird if he said that to himself. Um, he writes. Hi again, Roger and Declan. I was so happy when I saw the new season of the podcast. The drop, the season's challenges have been really interesting. I really enjoyed the way Roger used the characters from the screen painting to represent different parts of one person's mind. And Declan's core progressions in Siege of Wuthering Heights were simply nuts! Um, I know podcasting isn't a money-making venture, but every time a season ends, I wish I could just go on straight to the next one. Love what you guys are doing. Aww. Thanks, too, for playing my uh, last song in the last season. It meant a lot. Uh... Cheers, we like that as well. Uh, here's another song I wrote in a week called Over and Out. Uh, I've been using characters in my songwriting a lot recently to try and explore conversations that would somehow be off-limits otherwise. In a previous song, I developed these two romantically involved characters that found themselves on opposite sides of how to deal with a massively consequential issue, of each character singing their own perspective. It was essentially me trying to understand friends and family that had different views from me but set within a sci-fi context. Uh, one character stays on Earth to help as many people survive as possible, and the other leaves from Mars with a small group so the species can survive elsewhere. In this new song, I try to get deeper into the character that leaves. The position she holds is deeply entrenched, full of slogans. She shows boldly with the world around her. But I tried to use the music and production in the middle section to give insight to the doubts, regrets and insecurities uh, I imagine she takes with her, even while still convinced it's the right thing to do. Musically, I wanted to use the seventh chord in the scale, D sharp minor seven flat five. I think that's basically just a seven, a diminished with a seventh on it, isn't it? Uh, seven chord in the scale. Yeah, yeah. But um, it was too hard to make that fast chord change uh, between the F sharp minor and B minor for just a couple of beats. In the end, I somehow stumbled on the non-diatonic B flat minor as a passing chord on the way to B minor, which some w works for some reason and it's much easier to play. Yeah. Uh, as a sidetrack, one of the best bits of advice I ever got was from a great gypsy jazz musician. Uh, when I was at Daymark Festival, I went up to him afterwards and said, oh, I really love your chords, mate. You're doing fantastic stuff there. What are you doing? Mm. And he just goes, I'm playing as many notes as I can and shifting around a semitone at a time so no one knows. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. it's just made up. Uh, but, <laughs> yeah, it just reminded me of that. Uh, anyway, back to the letter. I hope you enjoy the song and all the indulgent sci-fi references. Yes, we do. Uh, you can find me at soundcloud.com forward slash Ben Elder. I'm not yet on other platforms. Uh, cool. Thank you for writing that one in. Uh, we always love receiving letters. Shall we play his song? Yeah, absolutely. Let's have a listen to Over and Out by Ben Elder. Here we go.
All right, that's really cool. That's really cool. It's um, it's cool to hear a song that obviously somebody's written, uh, who is a listener to the podcast, but also it's produced and you know drums and it's bass got and everything. electric guitars and it's got these cool synths on it. It's great. You've outrocked us. How dare you? <laughs> it's cool that um, it's like a good mixture between uh, electric guitar instrumentation and synth work as well, mm. um, which is. You know, it's a tough balance to strike, but I think um, it's struck really well here. Particularly with the Simpson increased prominence in the bridge, like uh, it was mentioned that uh, that was, you know, to give more insight into the depth of the character, which is, you know, all cool. Mm. And it's actually cool using characters as a songwriting device. I think we've not done too much of that, have we? Like every now and then, but not like as a regular... No, I, um, well, the closest thing I can think of that I did... Um, I think the season before last, um, when I was writing things for what became my album Grim, like Reverie, mm. I was focusing on writing songs as if I was my younger self or my older self or to my younger self. So I'm kind of like speaking to different perspectives. But as far as like writing as a completely different person or, or a fictionalised character, I don't think we've done a lot of that. Um, she could, we should do that one time. We should, yeah. And it's cool because like he was saying he was trying to like um, uh, talk about... Uh, views which didn't match his own from his friends and family and trying to understand them, but from the perspective of a character, to do that, you avoid a lot of awkward writing people's names down and kind of too obvious, because, I mean, I don't know about you, but if you were to write a song and put it online about somebody you know, they would probably hear it, you know? So yeah. it's good to kind of, like, express yourself, work through that stuff, but also be kind of opaque about it. But it's cool using the sci-fi thing for that as well, because sci-fi is often used as an analogy for things that are happening in the real world. Mm. Like, uh, or of it being, like, ambiv- ambiguous enough that, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to say, oh, this is one for one about this, that, or the other. Yeah. Uh, also, we just love sci-fi, so <laughs> anything sci-fi is good for us. But yeah, so the idea of using characters is really cool. Um, it would be interesting to know sort of what Ben wrote into those characters and what those specific characters express in terms of like, you know, the views he was talking about that um, weren't in line with his own. Mm. Um, I always find well, that stuff interesting. Living in the twenty-first century, there's plenty of that going around. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean that's just the nature of. You know, friends and family generally, isn't it? Yeah. Um, that's really cool. Yeah, I did like the tonality of like using the slightly unusual chords in there, which uh, sort of just I wish more rock bands actually use non diatonic chords and stuff like that, and mm. like, particularly in heavier songs. So, two thumbs up. Definitely. That's all the thumbs I have. Um, yeah, I also liked how, um, how you used production in a quite unusual way because i mean i produce my own stuff so whenever i hear something slightly unusual it always pricks my ears up and the fact that you had obviously drums and bass um in the center and then your guitars a little bit off from the center and then your vocals were hard left and right um and very very present with not much reverb was a really cool artistic choice to make there um so kudos for that yes we really enjoyed that yeah really cool thanks thanks for sending it in have we actually had a song in for a while uh, We've had letters in. I feel like we had one... I don't know, it's been a while, at least a few <laughs> weeks anyway, I'm not sure. But we always appreciate it. But we do love it. Yeah. So that's it for this episode of the Weekly Song Podcast. If you like what you heard, uh, why not leave us a like on SoundCloud, a five-star review on iTunes, a follow on Spotify. Uh, if you're on Podbean or CastBox or any of the other services that we don't know that we're on, <laughs> leave an appropriate symbol of your uh, appreciation there. Um, if you want to write into the Weekly Song Podcast, whether you want to share a song that you've written in a week or whether you just want to write a letter in 
or whether you want to tell us that we're both absolute idiots and the actual interpretation of Hitchcock's films is something entirely different, uh, why not send in an email to weeklysongpodcast at gmail.com. Where can they find your music, Roger? Find my music at rogerheathers.com, which is uh, my band camp. I'm also on Spotify and all the streaming services. Uh, I which, think your band camp, which is basically your website, has the most complete collection of your music, hasn't it? It does, yeah. But I find more and more people these days are going to Spotify. That's where I get most of my listens now. So um, so check me out on Spotify and do what people do. I'm not on Spotify myself, like as a listener, but whatever people do there, give me a follow or a playlist or a, you know, a... A hooray. A shot in the dark. <laughs> Um, and also, uh, P Green Boat is also on Spotify as well as Bandcamp. Yes, we, we just released a new album. An Unforgettable Luncheon. I've actually heard it now. Yeah. I think it's your best uh, record yet, is that Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. I'm, I'm really pleased with it. Like I said to you when you told me you'd heard it, I think it... We always talk about chords and everything on this on this podcast, but I think it's the album which showcases my love of chords and progressions <laughs> yeah. and also production styles the most. So definitely give P Green Boat an unforgettable lunch and listen. That's also on Spotify and Bandcamp as well. Um, just give us a search. Um, and uh, where can they find you, Declan? Um, SoundCloud. That's it. <laughs> the old, the old sound, you got the same thing as Ben, who emailed in. Um, yeah, not on other platforms yet. Yet. Yet, yet. being the operative word. Uh, yeah, so yeah, definitely check out Declan's stuff as well. Yeah, there's not much of it, but, you know, <laughs> hopefully you enjoy it. Um, so, we are about to do week six of this challenge, and uh, what the actual challenge is for this week is a little bit unusual. Would you like to explain, Roger? Yeah, okay, so this is one of my ideas for the challenges. We kind of... Um, of course it is. We did a few each, and um, I thought rather than do something that's... Um, uh, literary or a single piece of work and to reference that I thought it would be kind of um, a bit more unpredictable and a bit more of a uh, random random element to this one if we chose a chatbot um, an AI chatbot so an online website where you can talk to an artificial intelligence and you can have a, a conversation and um, what you have to do is give it the um, liar paradox if the next thing I say is a lie but the last thing I said was true could you believe me ooh ooh that's a deep question. So, so what... you get Boss singing the uh, uh, some opera and then like it all goes to hell and then John Pertwee comes in and punches some people and it all gets sorted out. That's not the challenge, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's what my song's about. <laughs> so, so what you've got to do basically is... And I'm, I'm, I'm saying this because it's uh, kind of an invitation to people listening. If you want to try this out, um, I've left some um, links uh, to a few different chatbots where you can, you can choose to... Uh, to go to and have a chat with um, in the SoundCloud description. Um, but for those of you who aren't listening on SoundCloud, I've actually got them here if you, in case you want to Google them. So we got Mitsuku, that's M-I-T-S-U-K-U, um, which you can give a Google, and that's a chatbot. Rose AI, which is also another chatbot, and another chatbot is Cleverbot. So any of those three are really easy to use. You just go onto the website, start talking, and the challenge is to write a song inspired by the conversation you have with an AI chatbot. So as Declan said, it's a little more unusual, but it's, it's going to yield some cool results. It's going to be interesting based on the way most of them work. Um, but I will say nothing to not spoil the surprise for next time. Yeah. So um, if you want to try this challenge, um, you listen to this podcast, you go, hey, I want to give that a go. That sounds like a really unusual challenge. We should and I have said this for the you. other episode, shouldn't we? I know, yeah, but you live and learn, I suppose. So what you can do is um, have, a, have a go on one of these chatbots, have a conversation, write a song based on it, and then when you're done, 
um, in the space of a week, email weeklysongpodcast at gmail.com with your song. It can just be like an iPhone recording, a really basic recording or more fully produced. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be the written song. in seven days and influenced by this chatbot challenge. And we'd be really glad to hear it. We're always glad to hear emails and uh, songs from listeners. So it'll be really cool. Yes, that will be pretty decent. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for this week. Yeah, that's that's the end of the episode. Thank you for listening. All right, ta-ra. Ta-ra.